Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the I'll Be Back podcast. This week, we have a very special guest, the voice of the Owls, Harry Donahue. Harry, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, it's my pleasure, Sean. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Um, this week, I am uh, drinking on, I poured myself a little vodka iced tea uh, on house sitting, and that was what was available uh, at the moment. <laughs> Some of the listeners know who I'm house sitting for, so I'm sure they get a kick out of this. Um, Harry said he might grab a water, but other than that, he's not drinking, which I, I respect. <laughs> <laughs> I, I said it makes it a little easier to talk to somebody like yourself, Harry. No problem. They enjoy it. Um, so, Harry, like, let's start from the beginning. You you, uh, you started with the Owls, kind of doing a little play-by-play football, basketball in the 80s. Uh, when did, How did you become the voice of the Owls? Well, it was uh, a roundabout way. I had gotten the job of being the play-by-play radio announcer in 1983 for the Philadelphia Stars of the United States Football League. And it was a short-lived experience uh, for them and me doing the games because after two years, the owner of the Stars, uh, because Baltimore had lost its NFL team, moved the Stars to Baltimore just for games only, believe it or not. It was crazy. They, they moved down they never were in the city of Baltimore. They played their games at the University of Maryland at their football stadium. Wow. And the hope being that the league eventually, see, that was a spring league. And I'm, I'm kind of going into a history lesson here, but it was a very competitive league. I mean, Herschel Walker came out of Georgia with the Heisman Trophy and signed with the New Jersey Generals. Um, Mike Rozier came out of the University of Nebraska with the Heisman Trophy, signed with the uh, Pittsburgh Maulers, okay? Doug Flutie came out of Boston College. He also signed with the USFL with the New Jersey Generals. New Jersey had two Heisman Trophy winners within three years playing in the same backfield. How about that? And a guy by the name of uh, Steve Young, his first (laughs) pro experience was with a team called the Los Angeles Express. And uh, Jim Kelly who later played with the Buffalo Bills and took them to four Super Bowls, even though he didn't win any. He, too, began his pro career in the USFL. It was a really good league. I mean, half the teams in that league could have beaten the last nine or ten teams in the NFL, (laughs) including the Stars. The Stars, a lot of people thought back in that that time, this was a real dry period for the Eagles back in Mm -hmm. 1983. Probably had the best pro football team in Philadelphia. But anyhow, I was their play-by-play voice, and I got by the name of Vince Papali, who everybody now knows as Mr. Invincible. He was my color analyst. Wow. And Vince and I... We shared some. See, a lot of people think I went to Temple. I did not. I went to St. Joe's. Okay. And we still like Vince <laughs> and and Vince did not play any college football. Played with the Eagles for three years before getting hurt. Made the team as a thirty-year-old rookie, right? Mm-hmm. But he went to St. Joe's, and I think still has a couple records in track and field at St. Joe's. He was a tremendous athlete. Anyway, Vince and I did the games. Temple hired a assistant athletic director in 1983 to take care of all their broadcasting deals. He happened to hear me one day on the radio doing a stars game. Now this was in the spring of 83. He was looking to hire a new play by play guy for the fall of 84. Mm -hmm. He called me one day out of the blue. I had never met him. He said, I'd like you to come and meet me for lunch at Temple. We want to talk about, perhaps you doing our games. And I said, Oh, okay. So 
he said, also, we've invited Herb Adderley. Now, Herb Adderley, I don't know if you know, Sean, maybe some of your listeners do, <laughs> is arguably, he just passed away within the last six months, arguably one of the best defensive backs in the history of the NFL. Won two Super Bowls with Green Bay, won another one later in his career with Dallas. He's from Philadelphia. He was my analyst that first year of doing Temple football. Not, not so, a bad first analyst you had. <laughs> wow. Yeah, you, maybe. Yeah, tell me about it. He's in the Hall of Fame. He's one of the many Green Bay Packers from that era under Coach Lombardi to go to the Hall of Fame. And, and a nicer guy you could meet. So that's, that's how I got started, at doing Temple. And from there, from the early 80s, Bruce Arians, Paul Palmer, who is now my analyst for several years at Temple in the booth, was their premier player, runner-up to Vinny Testaverde in 1986 for the Heisman Trophy. I always get on, Paul. He wears a leather jacket. <laughs> with a with a temple tee and over here it says runner-up heisman trophy 1986 oh, not yeah, many people know not many people know that trivia either but <laughs> um todd bowles was on that first team that i did kevin ross um who's the running back uh todd mcnair who's now a coach at tampa bay a lot of those guys are down in tampa bay yeah, now. Say, now the guys with bruce <laughs> temple temple south as they call it and yes. it was i knew them when i mean we used to do Coach and I, B.A., would do a little radio show from his office in McGonagall Hall mm -hmm. on Broad Street. And his office was about maybe eight feet by six feet. It just mm -hmm. had enough room for a desk and a phone. No windows. It was in the basement of McGonagall Hall. And there would be mice running around on the floor as we're recording our radio show. I mean, it was, are you kidding me? But now look where he is now. He's making seven or eight million dollars yeah. a year and he's lifting up the Lombardi yeah. trophy. It worked and out. I remember and I remember when we would have a hot dog and be afraid that the crumbs that we spilled onto the floor were drawing all the mice around <laughs> McGonagall Hall. <laughs> oh, man. True story. <laughs> that's so awesome. that's how that's how it all began. My relationship with Temple and eventually, of course, basketball, too, and had the pleasure of uh, being there for the last, I think, five years of uh, Coach Taney's tenure as head coach. And over the course of time, let's see, with Temple football, besides Coach Arians, I worked with uh, Coach Burnt a little bit. I worked with Ron Dickerson. I worked with Bobby Wallace. Uh, I worked with Matt Rule, or excuse me, Al Golden. Yeah. Then I worked with uh, Matt Rule, Steve Adazio, Jeff Collins, two weeks with coach Diaz and <laughs> yeah, now two, two, two weeks years, we don't talk up. <laughs> two years now with coach Carey. So I didn't do the math. I think it's around nine or 10. Yeah. Um, I got to ask you and you can, you can decline the question out of all them who, if you had to pick not a favorite coach on the field, but just off the field, who did you, if there was a game day, you knew you were talking to the coach who, who did you enjoy the most? Of all the coaches there, well, I wasn't there too long. I was only there doing the radio a couple of years with Bruce, uh, and I still talk to Bruce. Okay. Uh, sent him a text in the wee hours after the championship, uh, mm. the Super Bowl win, and he got it right back to me, which I kind of honored. Yeah. But uh, I guess it would be a tie between Bruce and Al Golden. Al and I became very good friends. He was here for, what, six years, I guess. And, you know in my heart of hearts, when I look back on it, a lot of people look and say, well, what, you know, the success temples had where it wasn't always that way. And believe me, it wasn't. 
I nope. mean, there were a couple <laughs> oh for 11 seasons my, or one in tens. I mean, my there next was, question was going to be, how was doing the broadcast? <laughs> in the 90s? <laughs> I'll get to that. But it was, I was probably the losingest play by play announcer in division one history for a long time <laughs> and what really turned it around was hiring by then athletic director bill bradshaw mm. of al golden al yes. golden changed the entire whole culture program whatever you want to call it made a 180 under yeah. al golden and uh you know they were in the mac thank god people say oh why did temple go to the mac if the mac wasn't there temple football today would be dead i mean it saved temple football and uh, Bill Bradshaw, the athletic director, had a plan to get Temple back into the big stream in, of the Big East, and they did. And they brought it back into the Big East, and, you know, it, it, it worked out perfectly. But without the MAC, and I think it was, what, four or five years we were in the MAC, and had some successful teams in the MAC at, oh, near the end of Golden's uh, career. But he really put Temple back in the right direction. And then, of course, Matt Rule did a great job and was rewarded uh, handsomely for that yes. <laughs> at Baylor and now with uh, Carolina and, uh, you know, all these other coaches since they have mm -hmm. no, idea. well, I'm, I'm sure they've read about it and people have told them I lived through it. I oh, saw um, it. I know, yes. I knew what dire straits temple football was back there in the, in the mid late nineties, early two thousands, when you couldn't get, you could not recruit uh, anybody, a kid who had, Division one A scholarships from another school. I mean, they were getting virtually walk-on Division one talent and going up against Miami, and uh, you know, you name it in the in the big Virginia Tech. I mean, you know, yeah. we're taking on Michael Vick. Are you kidding me? I mean, <laughs> but hey, you know, that's what it was. But they 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 hung in there and they got the right coaches, and sooner or later, things began to turn around. No, and I'll agree with you on that. Al Golden definitely was the the right coach, and he turned it around, and he he was the start of that spark of a program. I mean, I, that was my freshman year was 2009, their first year of having a winning season with Bernard Pierce and that whole team. Oh, yeah. That was, that sure. was my freshman year at Temple. And probably a year before then or two years before then is when I – I was like, Temple football is, you know, I know where they were. They're lower end of the spectrum, but I wasn't a Penn State guy. And I think that's why I fell in love with them. I was like, you know, they're the ultimate underdog. And Al Golden really turned them into that program that, like you said, they joined the MAC and they, they ended up being a really respectable, good team in the MAC. So those years definitely helped the team. Yeah. And, and you, you know, you credit what Al accomplished there in uh, some respect to where he came from which was as a player captain at penn state yes absolutely under coach paterno and you know whatever you think of penn state football and, and joe uh you know he turned out a lot of great players and some some pretty fine individuals and, and i think uh al golden fits into that category yeah a absolutely um how was it working uh you know via the broadcaster to Matt Rule. How was Matt Rule? Because, I mean, I think everybody obviously credits Golden, but I think more current-day people know Matt Rule. How, how was it working with Matt Rule? Matt was, well, another Penn State product. You know, yep. he was a walk-on up there, went to State College High School, and uh, got his entrance to Temple thanks to Al. You know, yep. the story, he was coaching, I think, at Western Carolina, and – he, he was coming up to visit his uh, relatives and now had just gotten the job. He stopped off in, in Philly. Now he didn't play with Al. He was a little bit younger than Al, but 
he, he literally, without an appointment, knocked on Al's door down at Temple and said, can I talk about, you know, joining your staff? And Al had, I think, already had a full staff. This is just a few months after he was hired. But he said, well, if anything happens, I'll get back to you. And sure enough, within a couple of weeks, I think one of the guys that Al hired mm-hmm. left to go to a, someplace else. And he brought Matt in. And I'm sure it's because of the Penn State connection. You oh, know? Absolutely. So the one degree of separation helped those two guys, even though they really didn't know each other. But Matt was in a, uh, he'd do anything. Mm-hmm. I know he, he came in as the last assistant on the staff, but he was willing to work and grind it out. And that's you know, that's true of any job. When you do that, you know, the sky, there is no limit. You know, the sky is not even a limit. So, and Matt was very intense, very intense. He was out there on the practice field. I mean, you knew where Matt Rule was. If you went to a temple practice, you would know within seconds where he was on the field just by him saying whatever he was saying to those players, you know what I mean? But they respected him and he was young, you know, relatively speaking. Maybe not to the players, but believe me, when you're my age and I look down, I mean, he, he, he fit in with those kids, you know, and I think that was he, he really was he was celebratory when they won. He, he felt terrible when they lost. Uh, but, you know, you didn't give anybody any breaks or anything like that. Uh, a great story. I think one of the real turnaround stories, not just during Matt's tenure, but of all the coaches that I've been around Temple and all the players was Robbie Anderson. I, I, I almost get like emotional thinking about this, but you know, Robbie came to Temple. He's a Florida kid, great town. If you looked at him though, he, he was like a pencil. I mean, he was, he probably weighed about 170 pounds, soaking wet, six, two, six, three, good speed, not great speed, but pretty good speed but he caught everything. But Robbie just, he, he was different. He was totally, when you, when I would interview Robbie or talk to him, I mean, he was like, like in his own little, you know, you know, but he had, I, I, I knew from the first time I saw him on the field, he was going to make it. He could make it to the league. And then he, he just like Robbie and classes didn't go together. Okay. Yep. And they, they kicked him out of school, okay? And he was gone. And he had like two more years of eligibility. I'm like, oh, did this kid blow it or what? But to his credit, Matt kept in touch with Robbie. And eventually they went through their conversations and all. Matt got Robbie back into Temple. And I guarantee you that if that had not happened, I don't know what would have happened to Robbie. And, you know, it's, I know what did happen to him. You know, he just signed as a free agent for about 10 or $12 million a year with Carolina, all because of one guy. He ought to give, he ought to give all his half of that salary to Matt Rule. <laughs> and that's, uh, and as a huge Temple fan, that is a story that I also, I, I love and enjoy as well. And yeah. I, I understand the, the year that Robbie sat out, you knew there was a wide receiver missing from the team and it, uh, it was Robbie Anderson. Absolutely. I, I absolutely agree. I never that. saw a kid go up in traffic and make a catch mm-hmm. and, and never drop a ball. I mean, it got to the point there was last year where they were double teaming them, you know. Mm-hmm. Everybody knew this is going to Robbie and he made the catch. And as soon as he went up there to the Jets, started doing the same thing and luck and good for him. He hung in there, you know. I mean, I I take it, I I had to take 
that he learned his lesson from college in that yeah. year that he lost and mm -hmm. potentially a career that he lost, but it got turned around. And, you know, let's keep our fingers crossed because uh, he's an outstanding talent. And it's funny because I'm not a big fantasy football player anymore. I used to be bigger, but I remember like three years ago, people were like, he was an under radar, you know, receiver, Robbie Anderson. And it's like, he might be a thousand yard receiver. And that's how, I think a lot of people nationwide really figure out who he was, you know, it's like, yeah, well, you know, he's playing on a bad team at New York exactly. and, and now, and he made the most of that and then mm -hmm. cashed in as a free agent. And like I say, you know, Hey, you're one play away from an injury that could sideline your career. Mm -hmm. And let's hope that Robbie never has that happen to him and that he hangs in there and, you know, he's got another five years, I would think. Absolutely agree. Um, so you talked about Robbie, who was one other player during your time? It could have been last year. It could have been 25 years ago. Who was one other player at your time during Temple that you just, you remember seeing him on the field and you're like, maybe it was like, he's going to make the league or you just, you enjoyed it the most football. Uh, Tyler Matikiewicz. Okay. That's, I will live with that answer hundred percent of the time. <laughs> you know, there's a kid, I mean. There, I think he had one other scholarship offer, maybe to Central yeah. Connecticut or something like that. He's yep. from Connecticut. But you talk about being on nobody's radar. I mean, you know, he's he wasn't big. Uh, he certainly wasn't fast. Nope. But his heart was as big as, as uh, Temple Stadium or, or Lincoln Financial Field. And mm -hmm. he, uh, he got the most out of his uh, physical – Mm -hmm. I guess a persona as anybody I've ever seen. Anybody. Yeah. He, what he led the nation in in tackles. He yeah. he was the first team all American. Tyler Matakevich. Out of temple. And he's <laughs> and he's been in the league for now like five years. Oh, he's know, made a great career. At, at Pittsburgh and at Carolina. And yeah, people say, well, you know, it's college good. No, no. He, he would make Carolina whether Matt Brule was there or not. Do you know what I mean? He, he yeah. made the Steelers without Matt Brule. Yeah. And whenever he gets on the field, it's probably a lot of it's on special teams or whatever, but he makes plays. And yep. I would say without a doubt, that kid, like Robbie had all the talent in the world mm -hmm. and ran into problems elsewhere Yeah. with academics. Tyler didn't have them. He wasn't the big stud linebacker or anything, but look at this kid. What yeah. he did as a collegiate and now as a professional. Wow. Five-star player. Mm -hmm. um, so I'll get your, your, your last view on football. Uh, what were your thoughts on last year's team? I know it was uh, COVID-driven and they had a lot of well, players yeah. missed and, out and it was tough. So Oh, I don't know how the coaching staff got everybody through. And they, well, they didn't really with seven games. But even to get that far was a monumental effort. And for us as announcers, it was totally different simply because, you know, normally we travel with the team. Uh, we're allowed at practices. Whenever I did interviews, it was in person with either a coach and with coach Carey and with the players. This year, we, we, I never saw them in person uh, except for what, uh, four games at Lincoln Financial Field from up in the press box. Never yeah, I was going to say, you were, you were at the link, but not there, really. <laughs> right, exactly. And um, had no contact at all. And all my interviews were done via the phone, and um, which in some cases was easier. I didn't have to, you know, get in a car and drive down. But that, you know, it, it just made it like a surreal season of college football 
having been exposed to what it should be like for, you know, 30, 40 years or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, hopefully it won't be the same. That's all I can say. You know, it's in the rearview mirror now, and I hope I never see it again. And, and basketball, in many ways, is the same thing. I mean, okay. you know, I, I don't have any, I'm not allowed to practices. Uh, no contact. Everything is done over the phone with players and coaches. We go to the home games, the away game. That's the other thing. I mean, we did the games remotely. And a couple of times we had uh, technical problems in that when I say we do them remotely, the football games, we did at a radio station out on City Avenue. And we had two monitors and Paul and I would sit socially distance, whatever. And we would watch the game off a uh, monitor. And I'll never forget, I think it was the second road game was at Memphis. Temple led at halftime. And when the second half started, we lost the feed. The video feed from down at the Liberty Bowl in Memphis was gone. We had a black screen up there. And I had a literally, I had my iPad and I had a wireless connection so I could get the stats. And part of the stats included a play-by-play. But it gave so you're just minimal, reading the play off a play. <laughs> it, it, it would say Russo uh, attempts a pass to um, Mac incomplete. Yeah. Or Russo completes 10-yard pass right sideline to Jaden Blue. That's all with tackle by so-and-so. So I had to actually recreate the down, the distance, the play. And that went on for about, I'd say, two drives because, well, two Temple drives, two Memphis drives. So what's that, maybe 15 minutes? And during the two Memphis drives, they scored twice to take the lead. And oh, we didn't man. even, I didn't see it. I had Yeah, to you walk. couldn't even give the emotion. The yeah. <laughs> so that was tough. Luckily, it only happened a couple times. Basketball, same thing. We do our road games. John Baum and I do the games from the Leacorce Center up, uh, up in the concourse, yeah. not outside concourse, inside where they have like a handicap area. Yep. We sit there with two big monitors sec- right behind section 101 and do the games off the TV monitors. And it, believe me, it's not the same. <laughs> it's not the same. <laughs> I can imagine. That's a, that's a good segue. So you've been, you've been doing basketball now for since 2001 oh, consecutively, or yeah. yeah, consecutively, 02 to 21, 19, 20 years. Uh, and how, with, how has that John. been? I mean, you did well, John like Chaney, I said, then you got John Fran, Chaney, now you got Aaron Fran, McKee. How's that? And been? now Aaron McKee. And um, it's been... Well, in terms of wins and losses, we haven't been to the tournament enough or one when we do get there. But I enjoy the game. I enjoy the competition that uh, Temple's involved with in, in the American Athletic Conference, which, by the way, I think doesn't get the recognition that it should compared to some other conferences. Uh, I don't know why that – you want to call it a bias? That's what I call it. Uh, no, I, for, I agree. I mean, Houston's top five I mean, Houston, in the country uh, right Well, now. <laughs> and I think – well, Houston's gotten a lot of attention. However, I think – the team that people, and now they will because they beat Houston is Wichita State. And, mm-hmm. and what that team has done, uh, you know, COVID problems, new coach because Coach Marshall stepped down right before the start of the season. I know. I think they had six or seven players leave Transfer, last year's team. Yep. They had a roster turnover. And the they whole are nine good. Yards. They're good. They're, yep. you know, people say, well, they have a home court. Forget home court because they only have like, now they do have th- maybe a thousand people. When you play them, and we've been out there three times mm-hmm. to play them. In the, in the roundhouse, as they call it, that holds about 12,000. And you can't hear yourself think when that game gets going. That's yeah. a home court advantage. I mean, yeah. what they have now 
it's it you know people make noise but it's it's five percent of what normally opposing yeah. teams have to put up with so but they're good uh i think you know even like smu memphis has had an up and down year a lot of covid problems mm-hmm. that, that penny hardaway's had to deal with but uh, there's there, there's two or three teams in this league that uh, and houston gets a lot of attention but beyond that i don't think uh, the league the conference gets the respect that it should yeah no, and i agree with that and i think you know temple's goal is to be a top of it and when temple if temple gets there i, I don't want to say when but if uh, you know it, it should credit temple if they're top two team in the american conference then that should make temple a top 20 team in the country because the conference is yeah. so good. well unfortunately the power fives and you know it's true in football too but the yep. power fives are the they rule the roost and um you know, Houston has been the top 10 team for most of this season, very mm-hmm. deservedly so. But I think now a, a team like Wichita State, they should get uh, like more than just, oh, a vote. You know, they should be a top 20 team, in my mm-hmm. opinion. But uh, we'll see. I mean, that's why they have the tournament. And that, and that's where everybody, that's where the payday is. You know, you got to yes. win. You yes. got to win. You just can't get to the tournament. And when I say win. win, I don't mean, I don't mean national championship i mean win get to the sweet 16 yep consistently that to me is a winning program i mean really and there's 300 and what 340 division one basketball schools you know Uh so if you can figure out a way to get into that top 25 or top 20 every year um you're going to win a lot of games a lot of games and no and i think that is i mean the, the diehard Temple basketball fans are the, the exact same thing that you're saying is they need not necessarily a lead eight tournament every year, but, you know, sweet 16 or second rounds consistently. And that is, and I don't want to have you say anything bad about Fran Dumphy on air, because I know you probably are good friends with Fran, but that is where the, his well, turn yeah. came to an end. You know? <laughs> Here's the, you know, coach Chaney, he started in 1982. Yep. Uh, and at the time, there were like two or three other African-American coaches out there. Coach Thompson was at Georgetown. Nolan yep. Richardson was at Arkansas. Uh, both of those guys won national championships. And back then, the whole recruiting landscape was totally different. For instance, Mark Macon, arguably the best player ever at Temple University, mm-hmm. came out of Saginaw, Michigan as a high school player in 1987. He wanted to play for John Cheney. He saw John Cheney on television. He heard about John Cheney, identified with Coach Cheney uh, as, as an African-American, as a coach, everything. And if Mark Macon was coming out of high school today, he'd have offers from Duke, from North Carolina, Kansas. He'd have offers as long as you're armed, okay? And deservedly so, because, you know, he was a tremendous tremendous college player but he never he wanted to play for one guy john cheney now i'm saying if that happened today i'm not so sure mark would have wound up at temple not that he wouldn't have respected coach as much but his choices would have been totally different simply because you don't have just and and it just doesn't come down to the color of the coach's skin but the whole thing the culture whatever background identifying today these young kids they have no idea what it was like to come out back in the 70s or 80s, it was totally different, you know, when you were being recruited. 
and you know social media and everything i don't know if mark would have made his way from saginaw michigan to temple university you know and mm -hmm. and and that mean and translated coach's success i mean temple went to five elite eights under coach janey but since um 2001 there haven't been any and coach was there five years you know so it, it changed while he was there he helped change it and then he actually lived to see a whole different uh what do you want to call it aura of recruiting yeah. and you know he used to talk about mcdonald i think he had maybe in his career two or three mcdonald's all americans um i think mark was a mcdonald's all american Ricky Brunson was a McDonald's All-American. I think there may have been one more, and the name escapes me. But he used to say, the only time I get a McDonald's is when I order a cheeseburger and fries. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that was, that, was pretty much, that was pretty much the truth. He did get a couple, but he didn't get many. That's <laughs> he a good one, many. <laughs> Yeah. Um. That's, I mean, and I guess since we're talking about John already, and I, I kind of said that we might do that, like, what is your best John Cheney Sturks? That was a good one. I'll, I'll admit that. That one line. Yeah, well, that's, that was that's, a good one. that's kind of mild. I mean, that was a general statement he made. Yeah. Uh, I, have a, I have a couple. Um, when we, uh, when I started doing the games with John Baum, we were not, back in those days, Temple did not travel by charter aircraft like they do now. Virtually everybody does uh, in Division One. Uh, so it was commercial flight. And what we'd had to do, we had a three-person crew. We had John Baum, my color analyst. We had a fellow by the name of Chet Zukowski who worked for Temple, but was our like producer and myself. So we would meet at the airport to fly to say Cincinnati to play Xavier, okay, in the Atlantic 10. And we would be on the same plane with those guys. But when we got off, and actually the airport is in Northern Kentucky. It's not in Cincinnati. Um, they would have a bus waiting for them to take them to the hotel. We would have to rent a car because we weren't allowed on the bus. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I, I said to John, Bob, I, I said, how come we're not allowed? You know, I don't know. Coaches rule. Coaches rule. Okay. So after about the third road trip, now we stayed at the same hotels too, but we were never allowed on the bus. So, <laughs> I went up to him. I had practice or something over at the hotel. I said, Coach, I got a question. He said, Yeah, what's on your mind? I said, um, How come we're not allowed on the bus when we travel with you guys, come to a city at the airport, we get a car, we're not allowed on the bus? He said, You know why you're not allowed on that bus? He said, The only people allowed on that bus are essentials, and you're a non essential. <laughs> And I said, Coach, I just want to know where I stand. That's all. all. Right, well. <laughs> but he gave me a big hug and all that, you know. And then I'm trying to, there were a couple other, one other funny story. We went down one year to play Auburn mm -hmm. in um, Alabama. And uh, we, we arrived, the game was a Sunday. So we arrived on a Saturday. This time, by this time, we were flying charters. Anyhow, we arrived and went to the hotel. It was around, eh, I guess one o'clock in the afternoon. And I was sitting down in the lobby with John Baum and coach came into the lobby and he said, uh, you guys hungry? I said, why, what do you got in mind? He said, well, I'm gonna go out and get some, uh, some local food and you better eat it. And I said, okay, we'll wait for you. 
So I said, well, how are you getting there? He said, I'm getting the bus. I said, the bus? Here, coach, the, the bus driver that drove the, the team bus from the airport to the hotel, he, he stayed at the hotel with us and all. Well, John asked him to find a, a local like soul food place in Auburn, <laughs> Alabama, because that's where the fellow was from. And he said, uh, let's take the bus there. And it was just the two of them on the bus. Okay. Now they, so coach came back an hour later and he had these bags of food and the bus driver was with him. And we sat down in the, in the bar of the hotel and he's pulling out catfish, collard greens, jambalaya, all these local specialties down there at this soul food place. I said to the bus driver, I said, uh, tell me what happened when you pulled up in front of this place. He said, you wouldn't believe it. He said, it's an off a back road has like a dirt parking lot. There were like 10 cars in there. And all of a sudden we pulled in right up to the front door. And he said, I know the owner, but I didn't like call him ahead of time. And he comes running out thinking he's got like a bus full of people and his place isn't that big. And the first guy off the bus, the only guy off the bus is John Cheney, is John Cheney <laughs> in Auburn, Alabama. And the owner says, John Cheney. <laughs> and he goes, you got good food. Bus driver told me this story. He said, because I want some. And the guy said, come on in, coach. And he went in. The place went crazy. And, the, and coach ordered all this food, paid for it, of course, and got back on the bus and drove back and fed us. But, I mean, who else but John Cheney would do something <laughs> like that, right? That's amazing. I mean, that's he was such a human being. It was unbelievable, you know. And, and the Calipari thing and all that, I mean, that pales compared to all the stuff he used to do that nobody knew about, you know. Yeah. Nobody like I had surgery on my foot. Uh, I had an ankle replacement done a couple of years ago and, then, and it was in April. And like a month later, I get a phone call and I'd see John Cheney, you know, I'm like, hello, how's your foot? Why did I know about this? You know, I said, coach, how you doing? Now this is, you know, he's 87 years old. Yeah. I said, coach, how you doing? He said, I don't, don't worry about me. How you doing? And he went on and on asking me all about the procedure. I mean, that was coach Cheney, you know, and yeah. God, we'll never see anybody like him. Yeah. No, I, I feel bad. I mean, I, I grew up with him, knew who he was, but I never appreciated like temple basketball as much with him until I was probably 10 or 12, but that was the end of his the good runs, you know, like the last elite eight they had was when I was 10 years old. So I never really, I was on. Yeah. That was with uh, Pepe Sanchez and yeah. that crowd down. They beat, they lost to Michigan state in Atlanta. So mm -hmm. that was like the last year that I, they were that good. And that was when I was really appreciating sports and temple sports as a whole. Um, so then you had Fran Dumpy, any good Fran Dumpy stories? I'm, I mean, I've, I've actually met Fran. I, I have a good Fran Dumpy story, too, but I'm sure you have better ones. Well, here's a, this is one thing, and I didn't think of it. Somebody told me. Fran Dumpy, is, he's under the radar on a lot mm -hmm. of things in terms of what he does with coaches versus cancer, uh, young kids that are sick, that are big fans of not just Temple, but basketball in general. Uh, he... A guy said perfectly summed up. He said, if, if you ever shake hands with Fran Dunphy, he'll probably come to your funeral. He is the most caring individual. By that, I mean just beyond his immediate circle of friends or, or teams or anything like that of, that I know. Uh, he, he's, he's always concerned. He never talks about himself. He always wants to know about 
what's going on in your life and, and your family or your kids or what are your goals? Uh, what do you want to do with your life? That sort of thing when he meets young people, especially. And as a coach, I mean, he's been exposed to some great coaches in his career. Uh, had a great run at Temple or at uh, Penn, uh, 17 years. I don't know how many times he won the Ivy League and all that stuff. And he's just a, a genuine person, you know. I mean, you go anywhere. Uh, he, he played, a lot of people don't know that. You know, he went to LaSalle, but then he was yep. in the ROTC. And his high school coach, a fellow by the name of Dan Doherty, wound up as Bobby Knight's successor at West Point. And he brought Franny up there for four years, I think, as an assistant, because Fran had to serve out some military time. And this is back, you know, during the Vietnam War and all that, when, you know, the military, you know, a lot of people didn't, didn't especially like guys in the Army, Navy and Marine Corps. But anyhow, uh, he was a coach up there. He lived atop the golf shop, I think, is where he had a little apartment. West Point has its own golf course and, mm -hmm. and golf shop. And that's that's where he lived. And then while he was in the summertime, he used to tour with the army military or the military. It was had an all-star team and they went uh, to the Middle East. I don't know if they went, they need to go to Southeast Asia because that's where all the conflict was, but he was on that team. And you know, who else was on that team? Uh, Greg Papovich, who was a graduate of the air force Academy, Mike Krzyzewski, who was a graduate of West Point and was one with captains for Bobby Knight. And uh, I asked Fran one time, what kind of a player was Krzyzewski? We all know what kind of a coach he is. I said, what kind of a player was Mike? And he just looked at me, typical Fran Dunphy, no emotion or anything like that. He said, but let's put it this way. He's a great coach. <laughs> That's all he said. And, and, and Krzyzewski, I saw him play. I'm old enough. He's like yeah. a year older than I am. He was a good player. But uh, Fran's right. He was, he was a great coach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. no, that's that's all. I mean, I, 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 I have met Fran. He was nothing but genuinely nice to me. It was funny. I haven't told this yet on my podcast. I met him. It was the year they built the new practice facility on top of McGonagall. Sure. And I happened to be down on campus. It had to be for spring break. And I had to meet with an advisor. And I'm like, you know what? Like, there's no one here. I'm going to walk over and just see what's there. And I think it was um, one of the assistants at the time, might have been Dave Duke, uh, rode the elevator up with me to the third floor where the practice facility was. Yeah. And he was like, you want to just come in and see it? Fran probably won't have a problem. So I walked inside and Fran Dumpy's there. Like, yeah, come on in and talk. And I talked to Fran for probably 10 minutes and watched practice. Like it was phenomenal. Fran, like, like you said, Fran was asking me about my life. He's like, what's your yes. major? What's this? And it, it was a surreal moment for me as a huge Temple basketball fan. To, Fran Dumpy let me watch a practice for no reason at all. <laughs> yeah. The other thing is he, he, he wanted to always instill in his players the fact that being a student athlete and playing at Temple University and at the Division I level, playing college basketball, uh, is something that should never be taken for granted. And he wanted to instill in those kids the idea that, uh, hey, you know, this is really an opportunity for me to grow as a person, to get an education, and not just a, you know, hey, I'm a big time basketball player, you know? Mm -hmm. And he always, I don't want to say 
kept those kids feet on the ground, but that's basically what he was doing. Like, you know, always remember this opportunity that you got and never mm -hmm. take any one second for granted, you know, and make yeah. the most of it for three, four, whatever, how long you're going to be at Temple as a, a student athlete. And he, that's the way he is. He's the most humble guy I've ever met. You know, and that's why he doesn't talk about himself. He always wants to talk about whoever he's talking to, not telling them about, well, I did this, I did that. I played for Tom Gola. I was with Speedy Mars. No, 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 no. It's not about Fran Dunphy. It's about you. Yeah. No, and that's, um, and I think Aaron McKee is trying to uh, do that as well after working a couple of years on his staff. And Aaron, I mean, Aaron learned under Cheney and Dumphy. So, um, ha, I mean, two, two of the years, unfortunately, have not been as easy with COVID and all. Um, sure. how, how, how is your relationship with McKee and how is, um, you know, what, what are your thoughts on him so far? Well, I think, first of all, he brings a, an unbelievable wealth of uh, experience, both as a player and now to some degree as a coach, although, you know, the, the, the fact, you know, there's a big jump from going five years as an assistant to somebody like Fran Dunphy. And even in the NBA, he was an assistant in the NBA. People forget that for like, uh, what, four or five years mm -hmm. uh, with the Sixers. Yep. So he's had, he's seen both spectrums. Okay. Player, coach. Now he's a head coach, a whole different ball game. Okay. Yep. The Bucks, you know, it sounds trite, but it's so true regardless whether it's Temple or Duke or Kansas, the buck stops with one guy at the top and he's got to make all the decisions. You know, you, you know, it's not just, Hey, here's what I think. Here's here. Okay, guys, here's what we're going to do. I think he's still learning that he's still learning the whole process of how to manage players. And, you know, he's got a young, really young team and he's got, this year, and, and he's not alone in this, other schools are dealing with it too, you know, with the transfer portal, which has its good, but mostly I think not so good points to it because I'll what agree, it I'll does. I'll agree with that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it's great that kids have at least some opportunity maybe to change their course, but like that's probably the subject of another, another yeah. podcast. But <laughs> dealing with that, once again, as the guy in charge, you know, recruiting and, and looking for transfers, bringing them in and hoping, and that's the word, that they fit because mm -hmm. they don't always fit. You know, what you see a kid in another program and then all of a sudden now he's in your program and he's dealing with uh, your players, it's not always the right fit. going <laughs> to end up the way you thought it would, you know? So yep. it's, it's, I think for that reason, uh, it's really tough this year. Not, and look at the schedule. I mean, you know, last week they were preparing to play East Carolina and all of a sudden within a period of 24 hours, bing, those two games are gone. And we got two other opponents now, Tulsa and, Cent and South Florida to play. It's like, whoa, what happened yep. to East Carolina? You know, so <laughs> just dealing with that as a relative newcomer to head coaching, I don't care what your experience was as a player or even as an assistant coach. And now you got to manage schedules, workouts, personnel, all this testing that they do, you don't know until the ball goes up if that game's going to be played. You know, a football went through the same thing. How about the football game against, who was it? East Carolina. Yep. Where uh, 45 minutes and 50 minutes before kickoff, the teams were told to get off the field because the Temple kid tested positive for COVID. And we didn't know 
the game was held up. We didn't know whether the game was going to be played or not, you know, and that's a whole not, that's probably the subject of a movie someday. But I was just thinking in my head it would be too much of a backtrack to go and ask how that game was, because I, I was at my house and I remember my mom and dad were like, did the game kick off yet? And I think it was a 12 o'clock kickoff. It was 1245. And I said, no. Like, yeah. And we how, didn't know. How, how was we, that we, for you guys? Did you have any idea? Well, no. Well, we did eventually. What happened yeah. was the teams came out like, the, you know, the normal timeline is the special teams guys come out first yeah uh, maybe i know an hour and 15 minutes before kickoff and then about 20 25 minutes later the linemen come out and other position players come out well i think it was a second wave of players were on the field for both teams and all of a sudden they left the field and the field was empty now yeah 12 o'clock kickoff this would have been around say 10 after 12 quarter after or 10 after 11 quarter after 11 and we're like talking up in the booth now we're not on the air yet we don't go on the air till 15 minutes before kickoff yeah and i'm i'm like where'd everybody go what's going on here and like there was no explanation i tried reaching our sid and his he wasn't responding and i'm thinking you know what i, I got a bad feeling here guys i said i, I think we got a COVID situation, you know, and like, really like, okay, let's, well, then I guess it was around shortly before 1130. I got a text saying uh, the game is being delayed because of a potential COVID problem. And I'm like, what? Well, I subsequently, I found out what happened was one of the temple players while in the locker room, getting ripped taped up or something was complaining about not feeling good. And they said, really? And then he, they took it. He had a temperature. He wasn't feeling good. He was getting like sweats and all the, you know, cold sweats. And was like, oh, so they took him and they had to do contact tracing. They took four or five other players who were seated next to him on the bus coming down to the stadium. They all got into separate vans. They drove up to Temple Hospital and got tested. He tested positive. The other four players did not, but it, it, I don't know if they subsequently a day or two later did, but because they were in you know, contact yeah, with him, contact. they couldn't play. So Temple had six players that were scratched that day. The team doctors for both schools, ECU and Temple, met around, uh, I guess it was after they found out the kid tested positive. So a little before or a little after 12.15, to say, uh, do you want to play? And the doctor from Temple explained the whole situation to the ECU, that, and he said, uh, yeah, we'll play. Yeah. And that's it. That game could have been, at that point, if he had said, I don't want to put our kids out there on the field, the game would have never been played. Yeah. So that, and I, like I said, I remember, like, I mean, I think they kick off. It was, the, yeah, like it was delayed 50 minutes. Yeah. And the... I like Twitter. This is the downfall of Twitter. At like 12.15, one of the, you know, somebody said, I heard a Temple football player's girlfriend tested positive. Right. Like that was the, the run of the mill rumor at the time. And it's like, who knows what's going on? And like, you know, the game is on ESPN Plus, I think, which that's a whole other podcast as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it just said like the announcers are like, we don't know what's going on. And this, this, and this, the players were the same thing you said, the players are on the field, the players are off the field. Right. Um, I'm happy that yeah. the game was played and I'm happy everybody ended up being safe as well. 
Um, but yeah, that's just the year that it's been football and basketball. I mean, basketball. Yeah, it was been. It's been very bizarre. Very bizarre. How's that been for you? I mean, because you're, you know, like you said, the the team's supposed to prepare for a game, let alone you. Do you get like a text like, well, hey, this game's canceled, now we're postponing yeah. it? Well, or... basketball. I mean, <laughs> football is different and it's one game a week. You yeah. know, basketball, you may have two, sometimes three games within a seven-day period, not often. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, I've had to shuffle the papers and say, well, instead of preparing, I mean, literally, like this past week, you know, back-to-back -back games against South Florida, uh, when originally on the schedule, that's what wasn't the way it was presented. But you know, you got one thing. You know, one thing we all learn, whether we're doing play-by-play -play of college football and basketball or a normal job, whatever, you learn to adjust, and that's what you do. So hey, we you make the most of it, and don't make any excuses. Nobody nobody wants to hear a whiner. You know that. Yeah. So hey, do the best you can. You know, play with the deck that you're dealt and see what happens that's i mean i, I agree and i think uh, unfortunately the the snow isn't throwing any uh more positives in your light either you know with everything going on yeah yeah well if that's if that's all i have to deal with i consider myself uh blessed okay like i say uh, i'm been through snowstorms uh <laughs> working at kyw for years you you i don't know if you're from the area or not uh, one of my jobs in morning radio was the read school closings, you know, for years and years and years. And so snow was, uh, what do they say? One's man's, one man's trash is another man's cash. <laughs> in the wintertime, we used to live off of uh, snowstorms. So um, my, my friend, Joe McNichol, who kind of helped set this up, I believe he knows one of your sons. Um, I, I knew Joe when he was in high school at LaSalle playing football, a quarterback. So when I told him, I said, we're, it's officially set up. He said, ask him about golf and ask him to do a, a school closing. So uh, I'll, I'll let you well, pick. <laughs> okay. Well, golf, of course, is uh, something I've loved since I was, well, probably around 10, 11 years old. My father got me involved in it. I was a caddy. I've played golf my entire life. Uh, not always as good as I thought, but if you know any <laughs> golfers, that's their predicament all the time. Yes. I, we're always trying to get better. And uh, now I'm, I've been fortunate the last 10 years to do a weekly golf show on NBC Sports Philadelphia, the old Comcast Sportsnet. It's called Inside Golf. And I really enjoy going around, looking at different courses in the area. And the people that I meet is really what makes it for me. Because, you know, like anything, golfers are a unique brand. And there's, there's all kinds of golfers. Whether they're good or bad, though, they love the game. You know, they can be a scratch player or a 25 handicap or above, but they love talking about the game and they're always trying to get better, whether they're a scratch player or yep. whether they're a plus 25. But um, in school numbers, like I say, I used to read the list and used to go county by county by numbers. And in honor of Joe McNichol and LaSalle College High School, where I had three sons attend, uh, their school number was 333. Now, I'm not suggesting you play that in the lottery, but <laughs> I used to, I'd be reading a list in Montgomery County that we did it numerically, like, okay, in Montgomery County, following schools are closed, 330, 331, 332, and I'd pause, mm -hmm. and I would go, 333, <laughs> then I'd go, 334, 330, and, you know, it was a little signal to all those yep. LaSalle kids, hey, guys, go back to bed, you got a day off. That's <laughs> awesome. Um, 
Harry, I want to ask you one more question. I swear this will be the last one. So going forward, who is the one player on the basketball team that you're looking forward to, like of the team this year? Temple's team. Oh, yep. boy. Yeah. Do I, I have to only limit it to one, huh? Go to um, if, if you got to. You know what? Uh, I mean, I'm, uh, Damian Dunn is obviously a, a very good player. Um, but I think two guys that I'm really excited about because they're both freshmen. Actually, there's three guys, uh, two freshmen, and one is in his first year, but he's a transfer from Butler, and that's Caleb Battle. Mm -hmm. Caleb had, a, had 32 points. He was the first Temple player. The other night he had 32 against Tulsa, the first Temple player since Shiz Austin did it to score 30 or more points. Shiz had 34 a few years ago up in Connecticut and a big mm -hmm. win for Temple. But Caleb uh, Battle and yeah. then the two freshmen, and they're two good friends from – Illinois, the Chicago area, Jeremiah Williams and Quincy Ademakoya. He's my sleeper. Okay. I mean, Jeremiah has been a starter all season long as a true mm -hmm. freshman and going back, I don't know the last time we were trying to figure this out. I should know. I want to say maybe the, the last time Temple had a true freshman as a starter from the beginning of the season may have been Lavoy Allen. I, I was going to say it had to be Lavoy. Yeah, I, I mean, Juan, Juan Fernandez, first of all, he didn't join the team until the season had started. Yeah, I don't but think I he remember, started right you know, Lavoy, I still remember Lavoy's first college game was at Tennessee in uh, Knoxville. We mm -hmm. went down there. We lost the game. Yep. But he scored the first two points for Temple on a little jump hook in the lane. I'll never forget it. And my remark at the time was something like, oh, well, there's the start of what could be a very promising career. Yeah. And uh, that, was, that was prophetic. But yeah. Jeremiah Williams and Quincy Ademakoya are going to be great, great college basketball players for Temple University. I absolutely agree. I love Jeremiah. He's been playing great. And I think going into the season, Quincy hasn't had the playing time I thought he would, but I was super excited about him as well. I think so. I think you'll be very pleased with his development uh, over the next three years at Temple University. I'm hoping so. I'm yeah. hoping so. Yeah. Um, Harry, they were. They knew. They've known each other, by the way, since they've been about ten or eleven years old. So, I and, and Quincy actually convinced Quincy convinced uh, Jeremiah to come to Temple. To come to Quincy Temple. Quincy committed first, and mm -hmm. then talked Temple into really pressing to get Jeremiah. And he convinced Jeremiah to come to Temple with him. So they're like a package deal. Yeah. I, I would say so far we could say it's working out for everybody. Temple, Quincy, and Jeremiah. I think so. I think so. Yeah. All right, Harry. I will end this on this. I went to Plymouth White Marsh High School. Do you remember the number for that? Oh, geez. You know, <laughs> I, I, it's in Montgomery County. I should yes. Well, let me see. Was it in the threes? It's got to be close to LaSalle. It's only like I'm two miles away. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. Right up. Uh, what Ridge? Not Ridge. Uh, Germantown. Germantown Pike. Yeah. Right. No, I uh, don't. If you don't, it's all right. I we we never got the name of the school. Not we could look <laughs> it up. I mean, reading the number was enough. <laughs> uh, I hear you. Well, Harry, thank you so much for doing this. This was phenomenal. I mean, everything that you talked about, everything about you know your well, time growing up and coming. Always to a temple. pleasure. Thank you so always. much for doing this. Um, we, we can't wait to hear you. The, the game, well, this will probably get 
produce tomorrow morning. So the, the team will have a game tonight for those who are listening Wednesday night. Um, so you can listen to Harry for basketball and obviously football this upcoming season. Um, Harry, thanks again for joining us. My pleasure, Sean. Thanks for having me. Go Owls. Thank you, guys. And as always, I will be back.